0: And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 181. And today we will be picking things up in the book of Matthew, chapter 8. And um, as we recall, well, first of all, in, as far as the Bible is concerned and the organization chapters and verses and books. And so we know that the authors wrote their books, or in most cases, uh, the title of the book, uh, the author was the title of the book, not in all cases. Um, but when they wrote, they were essentially writing accounts, essays, if you will, uh, their um, memoirs with regard to the things of God. And so when we tend to write things, we don't put things in chapter and verse and whatnot. They didn't either. And so later on, people added those things in order to make it easy for us to follow. So a lot of times when we see, you know, the ending of one chapter and the beginning of another chapter, it's just a continuation that initially was not there. And so, um, and I say that because, um, before we get into chapter 8 here, if we go back to chapter 5, it says the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, in chapter 5, 6, and 7, this is Jesus teaching on the Mount uh, to the people. He's teaching about you know all kind of matters of life and subjects. And so um, first of all, it started with the Beatitudes, and then he talks about how believers are to be. Then he talks about things like murder in the heart. That's where it begins. He's talking about the heart. He talks about adultery. He teaches about telling the truth. He teaches about how to give and how to fast. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He teaches them about possessions, the attitude towards possessions. He teaches about anxiety and how to cure it, how to get over it. He teaches about judging others. He teaches about, uh, you know, how you should approach the Lord when you ask and search and and knock. He teaches about the kingdom of God. He teaches about the foundations uh, that people should place their faith on. And so he's teaching about a lot of things. And so at this time in chapter eight, he has done during his uh, preaching and teaching to the people, he has descended from the Mount. And so we'll see in the next two chapters, he starts his works. You know, he starts doing uh, the works of the kingdom. He starts uh, showing people the power of the Lord. And so with that backdrop, let's get into chapter eight. And so we see here in verse one, it says a man cleansed. And it says, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. So you can imagine he's just done all this wonderful teaching, things that people have never heard taught in the way it was taught before. And so they started following him. And then in in verse two, it says right away a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him. he came up, he'd done his teaching and he came up right away and he knelt before him. And so that word that he was preaching and teaching had to be powerful saying, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing be made clean. So the first thing we see here is that Jesus is willing. The Lord is willing to cleanse his people. Of both uh, spiritual and physical infirmities, and so he says, "I am willing be made clean immediately." His leprosy was cleansed, so immediately he was clean. The next uh, section says, "A centurion's faith." Verse five: When he heard, when he heard, when he entered Capernaum, a, centur- a centurion came to him, pleading with him, "Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony." He said to him, uh, Am I to come and heal him? So Jesus is asking the centurion, am I, what, do you want me to come and heal him? In verse eight, he says, Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say, uh, I say to this one, go. And he goes into another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this. And he does it. So Jesus is amazed at hearing this from this man because he says in verse 10, hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. And so Jesus is saying, look, this guy, this man, this Gentile, okay, this non-Jew understands the principle of authority. See, he understands the principle of authority. He understands, he sees where I come from. He sees the authority that I have. And he's saying, look, you don't need to come. You don't need to come to my house. All you need to do is say the word. And so Jesus is amazed by that, that. He has a comprehension, you know, of the power of the kingdom. So you don't need to come physically and do something. Just say the word. And I know that the spirits will obey your command. Then he says in verse thing, verse 13, then Jesus told the centurion, go As you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. So Jesus says, go, as you have believed, because you understand and because you believe in my authority, what you asked for has been done for you. And at that very moment, now remember Jesus in the the centurion, I know we're near the servant. so, So the centurion doesn't know this. But I believe that the centurion knew it in his heart that it was done because that is what he believed. He believed in the principle of authority, delegated authority, if you will. And so Jesus was delegated from the Father God to have this authority on earth, and the centurion believed it. He had the guts and the, and the gumption to actually believe it. Now, we have to ask ourselves, at least I ask myself, you know, Jesus has just come down from the mount, and it says earlier... Uh, when he entered Capernaum, and so a centurion came to him. And so the word had to be going forth because apparently the centurion was not on the mount when Jesus was doing his preaching and teaching. And so somehow, you know, through the, through the grapevine, some kind of way, the centurion had to get a wind of who this Jesus was. So good news travels fast. So then we say healings at Capernaum. When Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, so he touched her. And the fever left her. Here's the key. Then she, Peter's mother, got up and began to serve him. Her immediate response to receiving her healing was to serve Jesus. See, a lot of times people get healed of the Lord in some kind of way. It doesn't, again, have to be physical. It could be emotional. could be mental. could be spiritual. People can get healed in a number of different ways, Her immediate response was to serve the Lord. A lot of times people's immediate response is to praise God and then go on doing whatever it is they want to do. See, not to serve. They may recognize. Some don't even recognize, but they may recognize. But then they go on and do whatever it is they want to do. She was healed and she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were uh, demon possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. See, and, and this doesn't this doesn't indicate that uh, one had to one who was ill had to be a believer first, and then uh, they would be healed. This says all who were sick were healed. In verse seventeen, this is in reference to Isaiah fifty three four. It says so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. And so here we see where the new Testament again is fulfilling prophecies from the prophets in the old Testament. And so it says, so he himself, so Jesus himself took on our weaknesses and carried our diseases. He bore them for those uh, who would believe and in many cases, apparently for those who didn't believe either, but for those who actually believe for them. See, because again, we, we go back here, it says, um, when evening came, they, who's are the they, I would imagine friends, family, or whatever, brought to him many who were demonized. And so the ones who brought them had to believe in Jesus, even if the one who was sick maybe not have believed, or maybe they weren't even conscious, I mean, who knows? But there had to be belief by somebody somewhere and it's to, in order for them to come before Jesus. And it says, all who were sick were healed, because that was a part of Jesus's mission, right—to take on our weaknesses and to carry our infirmities. It says the cost—the uh, cost of following Jesus. Verse 19: A scribe approached him and said, "Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go." Lord, another of the disciples said, "First, let me go bury my father." But and this sounds harsh. But Jesus told them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What does that mean? I'm not 100% sure, right? I've read a bunch of uh, commentaries over the years that uh, that suggest what this may mean, you know. But I don't think anybody really knows exactly what this means. Some one that makes sense to me says that this is a way that, you know, maybe uh, the, the disciple that was saying, let me let me go visit my father first. M- let me go bury my father first. Maybe he was more interested or his priority was to make sure he secured his inheritance and then he would follow Jesus. See. And so um, and Jesus is saying, no. Your priority needs to be to follow me. And so sometimes that comes at a cost. Next section says wind and waves obey Jesus in verse 23. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So here we are in a boat, violent you know, thunderstorm, things rocking and rolling. Jesus is knocked out. So the disciples came up and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're, we're, we're all going to die. And so the disciples are, are terrified, right? Because this thing is rocking and rolling and winds and rain and, and Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. Dude, we're going to die. In verse 26, he said to them, why are you afraid you of little faith or ye of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. Verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Imagine if that was you and you were on this boat and things were going nuts. Water was coming over the sides of the ship and whatnot. And you said, we're we're going down. You wake Jesus up. and He says, you don't have any faith. Chill, wind, and everything goes calm. See, that would have freaked me out. right? And I would have been asking myself, who is this dude? Who is it? And this is exactly what were the disciples. They didn't know who they were with. I, I wouldn't have known either, okay? So I don't blame them. Next section. This is demons driven out by Jesus. Verse 28, when he, when he had come to the other side, they were in the ship, they got to the other side, uh, two demon-possessed men came up to him out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? And so the demons that were possessing these men recognized Jesus. that's the first thing they recognized Jesus, and so because they say because they say here, uh, what do you have to do with us, Son of God, Son of God is the way uh, to refer to the Messiah so they knew who they were dealing with, and apparently they have an understanding of some degree of the timetable because they say, have you come here to torment us before our time? In other words, it's not time for us to be tormented yet. Let us have some more fun before we get tormented. (laughs) Then it says in verse 30, a long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. So they said, uh, if you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Go. Go. He told them, go, Jesus told them. Uh, so uh, So when they had come out, wait, yeah. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended the pigs fled. They went into the city and reported everything. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now, why did the people of the town... Begged Jesus to leave. See, first of all, they were unfamiliar with this kind of power. It scared them. They, they didn't know. They said, This is something we don't get. We don't know who this dude is. This is weird. This is freaky. You know, yeah, please leave. But there's another thing that could also have been the case the men that were tending those pigs, that was their job. See, they heard that was their job. Jesus had essentially destroyed, you know, their jobs at that point when the pigs went off into the sea. And so uh, one could surmise that Jesus was negatively affecting that region's economy. They were afraid that he was going to go further and, and, and commit more destruction against their, against their property, their livestock and whatnot, and therefore really compromise their economy. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. So they begged him to leave, leave us alone, leave us the way we were, leave us to the familiar. We don't know who you are, we don't get this, but we're afraid, go. I think that that is the type of response that probably most people would have even today when they get confronted with the unfamiliar. Just a thought. Chapter 9, the son of man forgives and heals. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. So he left that place, got into the boat, crossed over, and then went to his own place. Then it says in verse two: Then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher, seeing their faith. See, seeing the faith of the men who brought the paralytic, Jesus told um, Jesus told the paralytic, "Have uh, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven." Now notice Jesus Jesus's first response. His first response is not to heal the paralytic. His first response is to tell him that your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus is more concerned about the condition about the condition of his spirit over the condition of his physical body. So his first response is, "Your sins are forgiven." And then in verse three, at this, some of the scribes said to themselves, "He's blaspheming," because from this standpoint, the Pharisees are saying, look, this man, he doesn't have the authority to do this. Only God can do that. What he's saying is blasphemous. He's forgiven somebody's sins. You know, we haven't seen any atonement. We haven't seen any sacrifices. We haven't seen any offerings. How can he, how can he say your sins are forgiven? That's their perspective. That was their system. That was their system of atoning for sin, right? Uh, Animal sacrifices, you know, days of atonement, offerings, that's what they knew. And Jesus was violating this. Verse four, perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to get up, or, or to say, Get up and walk? Verse six, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth for forgiving sins. So Jesus is saying, but look, I'm going to show you something to prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins on earth. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go. So he got up and went home. See, Jesus was primarily concerned about the paralytic's state of his spirit but to prove to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people that he was who he was presenting himself to be, he told the paralytic, okay, get up and go What He then healed the paralytic as proof to others. But his concern for the paralytic was his spirit. The call of Matthew verse nine, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. So this is a tax collector. These were considered evil people of the day. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. So Jesus tells Matthew, follow me. And Matthew's immediate first response is to get up and follow him. No questions. No, he just got up and followed him. Dropped what he was doing and just followed Jesus. In verse 10. While he was reclining at the table uh, in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Now, this is interesting. The implication here is interesting. And so uh, Jesus comes and he meets Matthew at work and Matthew just gets up and and follows Jesus immediately. Apparently, Matthew went from there and started to recruit his friends and buddies. See how else did the tax collectors and sinners get to his house in the presence of Jesus and his disciples? And so Matthew was touched by Jesus, and immediately Matthew turned around and went to his boys and said, "Look, dog, y'all got to come with me. Come, come on, you got to meet Jesus." He went to his other sinning friends, "Come, you got to meet Jesus. You got, <laughs> we got to change." See, Matthew was touched, and then immediately he started touching others. Then it says in verse eleven. When the, uh, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, this is Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are well, who need a doctor, but those who are sick. See? And so from the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees standpoint, it's like you are cavorting with those sinners, with these unclean people. This is not to be. But Jesus is saying, look, I came to save the lost. The sinners are the lost. I can't save them if I'm not amongst them. Verse 13, go and learn what this means. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, what does this mean? This is in Hosea 6.6, I think it is. And what this means is, is that the Lord doesn't really want or doesn't desire our sacrifices and offerings and whatnot. What he desires is a tender heart in his people. What he desires is for compassion and mercy to be poured out from his people onto others. And so, uh, in other words, he would prefer that we not have to make atonement. For sin, he would prefer that there would be no sin in the first place. He would prefer that we have the right heart in the first place, so that the sacrifice is not necessary. And so it says, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire your heart to be changed. I desire your heart to look on others with compassion." You see, that's what that means. He saying, "Look, you're just looking at uh, you know external behaviors. I'm after the heart." A question about fasting. When John's disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come uh, when the groom will be taken from them and they will fast. And so Jesus is saying, look, you don't, you you still don't get who I am. (laughs) You still don't get that I'm God in flesh on the earth. And while I'm here, My bride is with their bridegroom. There's no reason to be sad, despondent or whatever. This is just time for celebration. This is time for, you know, for, for, for uh, fulfillment, for happiness, for gladness, for joy, you know, for joy. This is time for joy because the bride is with the bridegroom. But there's coming a time when I won't be here and then they will fast but there's no reason to fast in my presence. You know, when you're in the presence of God, there's no reason to fast. Verse 17, and and," it says, no one puts new wine into old old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst and the wine spills out and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine in the fresh wineskins and both are preserved. And so when you put wine in the wineskin, the wine ferments and then expands. And so then the wineskin expands because the wine expands. Okay, and then and then if you were put more new wine into the wineskin, then that new wine would expand. But since the old wineskin has already expanded, the old wineskin would burst. And so that's why you have to put new wine in new wineskins. Why is Jesus saying this? Jesus is saying this is because I have come to uh, author in a new system. You see, we're not going to have the old system of animal sacrifices and and and, and offerings to atone for sin. And that's so sort of, this is a new system I'm ushering in. You don't quite know it yet. You don't quite understand it yet. But this is what's coming. This is what's happening. A girl restored and a woman healed 18 as he was healing them. Uh, these things suddenly as he was healing them. As he, as he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, my daughter just died. So he come and he kneels before him. He recognizes Jesus. and He says, my daughter just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. So he had tremendous faith. If the faith, if the Lord would just come, then, you know, unlike the centurion, he said, no, you don't have to come. He said, if you would just come and heal her in verse 20. Uh, this is uh, Leviticus fifteen twenty-five through 27 is referenced here. It says, uh, Then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached uh, from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, For she said to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned uh, and saw her. Have courage, daughter. He said, Your faith has saved you. And the woman was ma- was made well from that moment. So it says here, a woman who has suffered from bleeding for twelve years, this is probably sometime a menstrual disorder or something like that. But if we go back to Leviticus fifteen, it says this: when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, though it is not the time of her menstruation, or if she has a discharge beyond her period, she will be unclean all the days of her um she will be clean all the days of her unclean discharge. Uh, as she is during the days of her menstruation. Any bed uh, she lies on during the days of her discharge will be like her bed during uh, menstrual impurity. Any furniture she, she, she sits on will be unclean as it is in her menstrual period. Everyone who touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. And so from their perspective, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years was unclean. From her perspective, she was unclean. And so it says if anybody touches her, then they'll be unclean. But notice what happens. Jesus, she touches Jesus's cloth or robe, which indicates that he should be unclean because an unclean person touched her. But no, the spirit flowed from him into her and healed her. And it says that because of her faith, because she believed that this would happen. Then it says in verse 23, when Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd lamenting loudly. 24, leave, he said, because the girl is not dead. Remember, the man came to her and said, look, my daughter is dead. I need you to come. So Jesus gets to the house. He tells everybody in the house to leave because the girl is not dead. And they laughed at him after the crowd had been, after the crowd had been put outside. This is critical. He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Notice. Jesus cleaned the atmosphere. He put all the unbelievers out. It's important when you're in a time of faith, when you need the power of the Lord, that you do not put yourself in the presence of unbelieving people. Jesus put them out. He put them out. Only the faithful could stay. See? And he took her hand and she got up. Healing the blind. Just as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. I've always wondered how do how did blind people follow Jesus? Anyway, calling out, "Have mercy on us, Son of David!" When he entered the house, the blind men approached him and said to Jesus, "Now, he, Jesus goes in the house, and so these blind men follow him. They were persistent. They were determined." But Jesus said them to them. Uh, Do you believe that I can do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. So Jesus is saying, because you have believed in me, you know, then you will be healed. Driving out demon, driving out a demon. Verse 32, just as they were going out, a demon possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had uh, been the man who had been mute spoke and the crowds were amazed saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. And so the Pharisees are not buying his uh, deity. They're saying he's driving out demons because he's a minion of the devil. And so this is what they're telling themselves. The Lord of the harvest verse 35, Jesus continued uh, going around to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And that is the word for today. to, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out the believers in Christ to the unbelieving people, that they may preach his gospel, not our gospel, but his gospel, that the Lord is near, that the Lord saves. He's ready, willing, and able if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord the word says that you shall be saved. You will not be put to shame. And with that, we are done for today. We'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 10 tomorrow. Everybody be blessed. Stay safe. And, and, and stay in a, in a stature of hope. Hope. A hope in Christ, regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of what's going on in your world, regardless of what's going on in the world, our hope is in Christ, regardless of what we see. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow.